Purchasing an aviation business versus starting one, which is better? That question and much more answered on the Grease Pilot Show with Michael Sawyer. Hey everyone, it's Michael Sawyer with the Grease Pilot Show, episode number two. Um, this episode we switched over onto the iPhone. It's uh, my dedicated iPhone for recording and video recording. That's how I make my podcast and also the videos. Uh, use the iPhone 10. <clears throat> so, no distractions today. It is not a cell phone that gets service. I needed to get rid of that my main phone because we were getting inquiries when we were taking uh, when we were doing the podcast. The phone was going off. So. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to go and answer and kind of go over some topics about purchasing an aviation business versus, versus starting one. And uh, I'm just going to jump right into it here. So uh, I've done both, uh, just to give you a little background and um, not like on a major scale or anything, but my first aviation business, my first shot at entrepreneurship was purchasing an aviation business. And um, uh I bought that small maintenance shop for $75,000 and I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about my experiences and, I, and I've and i had a lot of time to reflect over the years on that purchase and uh, I'll give you my opinions, but <clears throat> here are, uh, I'm, I'm kind of just going to go randomly in the and talk about some points with the different, with buying versus starting, so um I'll just kind of, there's no really rhyme or reason. I kind of have some chicken scratch here I'm going to read through. But when you buy uh, an aviation company, um, let me check my audio real quick, make sure it's going. Okay, when you buy an aviation company, uh, there's overall a lot more at stake in my opinion. And uh, it really depends on your, where you're at in your life, whether I think buying or, or starting one is, is a good fit and I'm always going to lean towards starting um, even when you have some financial power uh, just because you have more control and there's more there's a uh, little less risk and uh, we've got a how-to course to start an aircraft maintenance company and I'll tell you a little more about that later but you can't go wrong with it um, I really condensed all my knowledge down into a course that's going to save hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars for people starting an aircraft maintenance shop. So I personally don't recommend it, but um, I'm going to go through if it's not a horrible decision, at least you get into entrepreneurship. And for that, that's always cool. So um, you got to work with the seller. This, this is the big thing. When you're buying a company, you got to work with the owner or owners, whoever, whoever's selling the company, because there's going to be a lot of back and forth with typically there is, it depends on their situation. If they're retiring and want to fire sale, then, that gives you leverage, but the big thing is you have to work with the seller. Um, you have to negotiate with them. Uh, one of the big things is checking the financials, obviously, of the company. One of the first things to do is to get tax returns, and uh, at, you know, three to five years is probably good uh, of the previous tax returns, and then uh, of the company and. Then you're gonna to want to know what the owner, what was given to the owners out of that. Uh, whether it depends on how the company was structured, but um, and then you're gonna want uh, three, three to five years previous of profit loss reports. Um, a balance sheet would be good, and then uh, just 
I think a general idea of, of reoccurring customers would be good too. These are all things that if I were going to go buy a company, these are things I'd ask for. And those of you who don't know the financial statement stuff, excuse me, you're going to have to kind of look that up and see because that's part of business is just learning. And with the profit loss report, I found that on a lot of, a lot of businesses that aren't GAP certified or uh, accountants haven't like gone through and did the books appropriately. Uh, and in general, I mean, like with my size of companies, uh, you know, million dollars less and then even up to over a million dollars, um, you get revenue in companies that revenue that much. A lot of their books are messed up and by books, I mean their finances. So it's imperative that you look at the profit loss report and don't, don't just you. I mean, use it, but like, don't trust it because there's a lot of ways they can manipulate that profit loss. So that's where a tax return is always going to say, Hey, how much revenue did the company make? Okay. How much money did the company pay its owners? That's going to tell you to some degree what it, what it's making. So the volume of business it's doing, and then it's also going to tell you the profit to some degree. It's going to say, Hey, at least the owners were able to pay themselves X amount and it'll show you if the company's a plus or a minus overall. And then the rest is kind of just, you know, the profit loss is supposed to tell you where you're spending the money and where the money's coming from. But the tax return will tell you overall if the company is profitable um, and how big it is. So look at the finances. Uh, the, another thing when you're buying a company, I'm going to go through buying a company first, is you're going to want in the aviation world and any business, but I'm going to talk specifically to aviation. You're going to want to transition time. If you're buying a company from someone, uh, meaning you want to make sure that you tell the seller owner, whoever the heck's in charge that depending on the size of the company and how big it is and how many customers they are, you're going to want to transition time of like three, six months, a year, even it depends. That's something you're going to have to negotiate. Excuse me, I'm take a drink of coffee. It's it's 5:30 Central Time here in the United States, so um, I just woke up. Give me a second. Long story short, <clears throat> you're gonna want to get a three, six, nine, twelve months of time where the owner is working part time with you or on call, and this you want contractually written in. Um, and you want to make sure that uh, he's going to work with you to show you what he knows about the business. Because, and I'll try and make this short, because this topic, you know, I, it could go on and on. But if the owner just ups and leaves, you, he sells a company new, he's gone, not even available by phone, nothing. Then you lose out on the ability to transition. The customers are the biggest thing, but even the operations. When you buy a company, my opinion is you want to, uh, the whole reason why you're buying it is because it creates revenue, it has a customer list, it has employee, whatever it is you're buying it for. You want to keep that in place for the first, you know, X amount of time, year, three months, six months, because it's working to some degree, unless you're buying a failing business. But that's something that in the finances you'll see. So you want to keep that in in going because it's working. So you want to keep the staff in place. You want to start making face or talking to customers. And the best way to do that is to have the owner kind of introduce you 
to these people and then vouch for you too. kind of say, hey, here's the new, here's Michael Sawyer. He's taken over the company. He's a great guy. We're going to be working closely together. So I look forward to teaching him how I've been running the company. You know, that's the kind of conversations you want to have with the, uh, the guys selling the company. So you want to make sure there's transition time. Because if you don't get that, then you could be stuck high and dry. The customers may not like you. They may be, it may be kind of like standoffish or too blunt in, in terms of one minute uh, the owner's there and then the next minute it's you and they're just like, what happened to Bob? He was the owner and it's just not a good thing. But properly done, if you're introduced by the owner and then there's some overlapping, then it, it really works out pretty good. Um, that's how it worked with me. And... Uh, so the first six months of my transition, my business went pretty good. Um, my struggles happened when I started changing things within the company. The guy who I bought the company from uh, got a little bit out of shape that I was growing the company. And it was odd, but that's that leads me into the last point of like the, or one of the points of uh, ha buying it from somebody. Make sure that you tell them that they can't be emotionally connected to the company anymore. It's a big deal because they're going to want to tell you how to do stuff if they're going to have that transition time. And if if you want to change it a little bit, then they're going to get up. They could get upset. And that's what happened in my case. And then in my case, what happened was it was small enough airport. And there was, and I think it could happen even at big airports after what I've learned. The guy who sold me my company, my first company, ends up going on the airport board and then kind of making it super hard for me to grow as a company. It was a terrible situation. And so what I'm saying is you got to make sure that whatever, that one, you, you put in the contract that he cannot, the guy who sells you the company cannot participate in the air, the regulations of the airport that you're based at, period. Make sure that's in there because I don't care what anybody says. Someone who built a company up may get emotionally tied to it. And if you buy it from them, and then you change it, they may get upset that you're changing things and then they're, they want revenge. They're going to come at you. They're going to figure a way to, to tear you down. That could happen. So to prevent that, just simply make sure it's super clear that you're buying this company that you, before you even buy it, say, Hey, you know, I may change things and I may keep things. I want to make sure you're not emotionally connected to it. Let's get a signature that says you're not going to be involved with any of the, uh, the airport uh, management or officials for X amount of years, two years, that gives you opportunity to kind of get cemented in before he gets in there and tries to do something. And a lot of guys might not do this, but in my case, that's what happened. And I've actually seen it happen with another one of my friends in the aviation industry. My flight instructor back in the day, uh, he ran an FBO too. Same thing happened to him. Um, maybe a little bit different, but same concept. He bought a company from uh, FBO from an older guy. The older guy got upset because he was changing things. And then ultimately, uh, they left the airport, just like I did. Because the, the guy who bought the business bought the business. The guy he bought it from got mad at him. And over the course of three, four years, uh, <clears throat> my friend John left the airport because he was tired of dealing with the toxicity of the environment because the guy... I don't know if he got on the board or if he was just influencing the board, the airport board. Um, and so that happened to me as well. So let's move on because sometimes I just ramble and I hope you guys are getting some good information out of this. But 
and also I got a little stuffy nose, so if I sound a little weird, sorry, and I'll try to slow it down a little here too. Um, and then the, one of the last things about buying a company, there's a lot to buying a company, honestly. And uh, like I said, I don't personally recommend it, but if you're buying a company, I'm giving you what you should be doing, what you should be looking at on the finance, like on things to look at. Uh, the, the contract, so airports, to do business at an airport, most of the companies that you buy probably will have a hangar and a lease agreement with the airport. Uh, there's very few aviation companies, maintenance companies that aren't based at airports, but you're going to want to look at that contract. You're going to want to talk to the airport board and just have another transition meeting with the airport board where you, the owner of the company that's selling you the company, and airport officials talk down and kind of say, hey, this is what's happening. Are we all good with it? You know, I'm buying the company because once again, um, the airport controls the lease to the hangar. Uh, and that's that's a part of what I'll talk about. I'm going to talk about a whole nother podcast on uh, having shop space versus doing your business mobily because I've got so much to talk about with that and it deserves its own podcast. But for an airport uh, you want to make sure you have a good contract in place. Um, maybe I'll throw up some sample contracts on our website, greasepilot.com. Uh, check that out. Um, stay in tune with that because I do throw a lot of good resources on, on greasepilot.com. Uh, and, and I've been kicking around, throwing around one of our old, uh, our contracts. I got to white out a lot of personal information, but give you an idea of what they're, how they're written, some of these contracts, but you want to make sure that there's a lot of years left on it. So like, and this is, these contracts don't have any template. Let me take a sip of coffee real quick. Hold on. These contracts that air, that aircraft maintenance shops have with the airport differ between airport and airport. <clears throat> there is no real definition that I could find. There's a lot of like guidance, but no law on like what they have to be. So they're regulated by each airport. The airport board or commission or uh, whatever the governing agency is for the airport controls what is going into the contract. <clears throat> so if you don't get an airport, don't get an uh, aviation business that doesn't have a lease that is going to be longer than what you can pay off the, the, the uh, if you take a loan out for a business, I'm going to just say an example. If you take a loan out and it's going to take you five years to pay that loan off, don't get an airport lease. That's three years. Your bank, number one, may ask for it. And if they don't, it's up to you to just determine that, hey, you want to make sure that you get your debt paid off before the airport could potentially can you, you know? So the longer the lease with the airport, the better. Five years, 10 years, 15, 20. I've seen 30-year agreements with aircraft maintenance companies with the airport. And the longer, the better, uh, in my opinion. So make sure you got a good long uh, lease and then you have the option to renew it in the lease. So if you're buying an existing company, make sure it has a lot of years left on the lease. Make sure you transition with the airport board where you have a meeting with the airport board the guy selling you the company and you, and you guys talk about what's going to happen and make sure everybody's cool with it before you buy. <clears throat> Last thing you want is to buy a shop 
take on lots of debt or spend lots of money, get in there six months later, something happens that you didn't know about with the airport and they say, go on, get out of here. Because they ultimately control where you're doing your, your work. Um, and then in the airport clause, make sure you, in the airport, the contract you have with the airport, make sure you have the right to be able to rectify an issue they have with you before they kick you out. That's common. Just make sure it's something that says, hey, if you, this would be, if, uh, okay, if the airport has a complaint or you're violating one of their rules, make sure you have in there um, something that states that you as a company have the opportunity to fix or correct that, that issue they have with you and you have 30 days to correct it before they can kick you out. So that's a remedy clause. Make sure that's in the airport contract as well. There may be some stuff I'm missing. This is just stuff that I've thought about. <clears throat> Let's go into, uh, um, I got to think if there's anything else on buying that I can think of at the moment. Um, the buying process is just a little more tedious and longer, in my opinion. It takes a little more give and take. You always, I got, I got negotiate on here. So I'm going to hit that up real quick. Everything's negotiable in life. Uh, there's very few things I can think of currently that aren't. And go ahead and tell me what your thoughts are if, if everything in life is negotiable. Because to me, that's how I approach it. And so with airport contracts and buying a company, it sure as hell is not uh, negotiable. Um, especially when you're buying a company where the guy's retiring and looking to get a chunk of change. And you're probably going to be one of the few qualified buyers. Because let's go ahead and talk about it. Aircraft maintenance is niche. There's not that many A&P mechanics out there when you look at them compared to nurses or doctors or lawyers. There's just not as many. And so then you take that even further down and let's say you're buying a piston shop and you need an IA first of all. If you're buying a company, a piston shop, you have to get your IA or have a st an IA on staff. You don't have to personally be one, but you need to have a good solid IA because that's going to be detrimental to your, um, your success. But um, you're going to want to negotiate with them, the seller. And uh, if they're in a pinch and they want to sell, then you have leverage. <clears throat> you know, it's a small industry. There's not going to be that many people looking into buying their shop more than likely. I've seen shops on barnstormers for sale for years. I st I, there's a shop in Iowa, and I won't go into detail because it may still be for sale. Super rule, rule Iowa, and um, I'm in my basement. So if you hear utilities, pipes, and stuff, that's that's sounds like someone's using the toilet or something. But water's going down this pipe right next to me. The shop in Iowa's been for sale for like eight years, and I'm just thinking, damn, you know, this guy's he's consistent. It's in rural Iowa, and uh, cool little place. It's an FBO, got fuel and everything else in a small little town and that's probably why he's not able to sell it because it's just not there's not anybody that wants to go to a small town run a maintenance shop the the pool of qualified buyers is is very small so if you're gonna you know you got leverage make sure you negotiate with the with the seller all right let's go into i'm at 19 minutes i'm trying to keep our podcast to 15 to 20 minutes this one's going to run over i wonder how many of them are going to run over because I feel like I'm just letting out all this uh, stuff that I've thought of for years and years and years. So <clears throat> hopefully it helps someone out. And I, you know, please, um, I'm not sure how many subscribers, followers we're going to get on this channel. 
Um, this podcast is going to go out to all the major uh, <clears throat> podcasting networks, Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeart, Pandora. Last night I was just looking at them all and, and uh, got up, hooked up with the company, rss.com. Uh, this is the podcasting uh, center that I use or the company. And they, they distribute it pretty nicely out to all those companies. So it makes it a little easier. But we're on all the major podcast platforms. So if you're just checking in and you just swung by, make sure you scroll down to the bottom of, if you're on the website and you're listening to a podcast, the, the Grease Pilot Show, scroll down to the bottom and add us depending on whatever channel you use every day, whether it's Apple or um, Google or um, Spotify. We got a button down there that quickly takes you to our show. Subscribe to us because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make this show go on. If you get value on it, if you guys get something out of it, comment, share, tell me your thoughts. Um, and I know everybody says that online, but like I truly am trying to help people. And I think that there's not another... There's not too many forms out there, boards or aviation podcasts that talk about the small guys. There's a lot of, I saw aviation business and stuff, and they're all like the corporate guys. And we will talk a little bit about corporate aviation, but I'm talking about this podcast is for guys that are blue collar, just getting into the industry, whether you're getting flight training, mechanics, which a lot of it's going to be mechanics to start because that's what I am. And you don't have that much money and you're looking to get into starting your own company. That's what this podcast is really going to focus on for the beginning. So now that I plugged that in your ear, uh, kind of lost direction of where I was going. Let's just switch over to starting. Okay, if you're starting a company, the pros and cons to starting versus buying is you may have to build up your revenue. Whereas with buying a company, you can just turn the revenue on, and um, but that comes at a price. So uh, starting a company can take you longer if you don't know what you're doing. And that's why Grease Pilot's alive. Grease Pilot, I made a course for, currently the price is $249. And that may go up, I'm not sure. We put a lot of time and energy into making this course and condensed all of our knowledge down into this course. So if you're looking to save hundreds of dollars, thousands of hours, excuse me, hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars, it doesn't matter, you'll probably save a lot of time and money and then get this course because I can tell you if I look back at all the times and mistakes I made that if this course was available it would I would have bought it so quickly and I'm not a uh, impulsive purchaser I just think way too much about stuff but this course without a doubt and I this may sound salesy but I'm telling you what I believe uh, this course would have changed things for me it really would have. It would have made me think twice. I would have been able to not, I wouldn't have bought that first shop. Because with our course, our, we we focus on people starting their company with little money. 550 bucks is what we talk about starting a maintenance shop with. We talk about getting it started in a month or less in the course. And we show you exactly how to do it. So starting a shop can take you longer if you don't know what you're doing. And it still will take longer to get to a lot of revenue, but the point that I'm making is that you can shortcut that if you know what you're doing, if you have a mentor and Grease Pilot or how to start an aircraft maintenance course does that and it will shortcut you. And as currently as I'm talking, there's nothing else like it on the on the market and that's why we got into it.
it'll be the best $249 you spend if you're starting an aircraft maintenance shop. Um, so, uh, some of the things with starting up, but the struggles that people go through are, are building a customer base. That's kind of hard. And in our course, we talk about how to do that, but there's, you know, that's a full-time job in itself. And I don't want to make this podcast last three hours. So, um, <clears throat> you're the, one of the hardest things is going to be building a customer base. We'll talk about that in another podcast, but, uh, make sure you focus on that. Uh, there's just so much content to talk about there, so I will make another podcast on that. Just stay in touch, stay in tune, because we'll talk about that. Um, you're going to want to know if you want to do partnership with your startup, and I'll tell you what I think about partnerships. Uh, I've been in them, and I haven't been in them, and with partnerships for me, you got to, if I can have a partnership that works, I'm going to go for it. That's me personally. I don't care about splitting half the profits because guess what? You get to split half the expenses, depending on your partnership. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. What a partnership, the most value I get out of a partnership is the camaraderie. To me, it sucks going at something all by myself. I've done it. It's cool. I have people surrounding me, but they're not my business partners and they don't feel the pain that I feel. They don't see the successes. They don't they don't emotionally get connected with the company like I do. So having a partner, you do, they do get connected with you and you guys make a bond that honestly is worth more than the money in my opinion. And so that's why I like partnerships, but if you're not careful, so the partnership can go sour. And so you want to pick someone you've worked with. If you're <clears throat> my, my opinion of getting a partnership on an aircraft maintenance company, if you're going in at it with your buddy, a, make sure you've worked with him before and you know who he is as a person and that that aligns with you. And um, if not, if you don't know him real well, then make sure you put into the operating agreement, which we can talk about operating. We'll talk about all the stuff you guys don't know in later podcasts, but the operating agreement is what for an LLC, which is the type of business I recommend you start, spells out the legalities and the operations of the company. In the operating agreement, make sure you put, hey, we're going to work together. If you don't know the cat that you're uh, getting a partnership with, make sure you put in there that we're going to be 50-50 partners, but at a certain date, we're going to have a meeting. And at that meeting, we're going to decide if it's working or it's not working. And at that point, we're either dissolve or we'll move forward. Put that in the operating agreement for, for if you're partnering with someone you don't really know. Um Let's talk about a little bit about startup cost <clears throat> for starting a, a shop. Uh, in the course that we have, um, how to start an aircraft maintenance company, we really pride ourselves on on guys being able to start a shop with 550 bucks, and we show you how to do that. We have a little art, a little document in our templates um, kit of the stuff that we would buy. If we were to go start a shop, another shop, right? Because we started, I've started four or five, and uh, a lot of my other friends have started some too. And we, I've just honed down what, what it takes to buy and when to buy it. And if you're going to do it with this little amount of money, we put it in a little checklist and put it on the in the, tor- in the forms and templates package on greasepilot.com. Uh, long story short, there's some critical things you need and there's some things that you can wait on. If you're a mechanic, you should have tools, unless you're a brand new mechanic. So starting out, 
If you're doing piston aircraft maintenance, which is what I recommend you start your company maintaining is pistons, uh, unless you have a connection with corporate people, if you do, then we can talk about that in a later episode, but I'm going to talk about some piston stuff. One, they're the most produced aircraft. Two, they're the cheapest to get into, meaning like the tooling, the equipment, what you need to maintain them is the cheapest, the insurance and stuff like that. So it's a great entry point. But uh, your startup costs are going to uh, vary depending on wh who, you, what sector you go after. And I, I recommend starting with the piston group. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in the course, uh, your startup costs. And then let's talk about mobile versus going mobile versus having a hangar. If you're starting your company out and we'll go, there's going to be many podcasts where we have to just talk about more because I don't want to stretch these out very far, but I recommend going mobile and let me go ahead and say why, because mobile, you're more agile. You're not at the mercy of the airports that you don't have a hangar. You don't have as much invested at the airport. If an airport board doesn't like you and you're mobile, they really can't do anything about you because you're mobile and it's your right from the FAA standpoint and it's the aircraft customers right to be able to choose who they want to work on their plane. So if they want someone to work on their plane, they should be able to. Now, choose that person whether they're mobile or not airports have rules on mobile maintenance i'm not saying that you can just outlaw it but what i'm saying is like if a person has a broke down airplane they sh they can pick who they want to fix their airplane they don't have to pick who's on the shop on the field so i recommend going mobile and the reason why is because it costs you fraction less to go mobile than it does hangar space and you can start much quicker my in the course we talk about starting mobile and then if you want to get hangar space but you can scale a mobile aircraft maintenance company so much faster so much bigger than a than a traditional shop and that's why i recommend them because if you want to make lots of money and if that's your goal as an aircraft mechanic then then going mobile is the best thing sure you can get hangar space but you want to keep your costs down and your co your money coming in high and doing it mobily is the way that's going to do that. Hangar space we talked about in purchasing a company. It comes with the politics. It comes with rent. But, you know, there there is a time and a place for it. Like if you're doing painting or you're doing restoration work, you're not going to be able to do that stuff mobily. So you will need a hangar. Let's, let's talk about that in a later episode. And if you want to learn more about what uh, that, you can buy our course, uh, How to Start an Aircraft Maintenance Business, on greasepilot.com. I'm looking at the podcast here and we're at 30 minutes. There's so much more to talk about, but the I want to keep these short just so that you have little bites and pieces every day to learn. We'll talk about more and expand more on, on uh, subjects I may have briefly brushed on, but there's my thoughts on opening a shop versus starting one. If you guys want more information or you want to see more podcasts, go to greasepilot.com um, and check out just subscribe follow on your uh, podcast uh, station of choice that really help us out if you like hearing what you're hearing and you're getting value out of it just do that for us that'd be great and then we'll plan on talking to you guys on the next one okay with michael sawyer the grease pilot show we'll talk to you guys later